Well, if you'll open up to Philippians 3, I'm going to read, start in verse 8 and go all the way to the end of the chapter. Philippians 3, 8. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Well, this week is going to be a little different. It's probably going to feel like half of a sermon because it's basically going to be half a sermon this week. It's going to be a long sort of review, or a long introduction, or some sort of combination of the two, to try and get ready for this next section in 17 through the end of the chapter. And in preparing, I could give just a short summary and then move on, but I felt like it'd be better for you to see why I'm going to take the way I interpret this next section uh, the key phrases in 17 through the end, one of them is enemies of the cross of Christ, and he's warning against that. To know what that is, I feel like we're going to have to do some review, some summary review, and just kind of set the stage and present an idea this week. So it's just basically, here's this idea, and just let it sink in, and then next week we'll dig into it more deeply in detail and apply it a little bit more. But the question we need to answer as we try and jump into 17 through the end is this exhortation that Paul gives in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Well, what is that example? And he's going to end up contrasting imitating Paul and whoever us is with the enemies of the cross and as the bad example, not to be imitated. And so we need to really understand what it is that we're called to imitate. 
specifically. And what I'm going to say the next two weeks is this. That Paul saw in the cross not only how we are saved, but a pattern of self-surrendering love for us to live out. I'm going to read that again slowly, and then I'm going to say it again in a different way in case that is it's a, it's a mouthful. Paul saw in the cross, in Jesus' death, not only how we are saved, but a pattern of self-sacrificing love for us to live out. I'm going to say it again in a different way. Um, same kind of statement, just a little different wording. Paul was not only saved by the cross, Paul was not only saved by the cross, but he wanted to live a cross-shaped life. Paul wanted, Paul was not only saved by the cross, but he wanted to live a cross-shaped life. Okay, so that's the main point. And that idea we're going to kind of dig into and just basically let it sink in this week is all we're going to do. Present it, why, look at some of the passages and just let that sink in. Because it actually is pretty, it's a pretty big idea for Paul and it's also, for me, something that is difficult. It's It almost needs a week just to settle and percolate and so you can digest the rest. Or maybe more than a week. But that's what we're going to present this week. So I'm going to start by giving um, giving three reasons that I think that when Paul says imitate me, he's specifically saying imitate me as I imitate the cross of Christ. Three specific reasons. Reason number one is the immediate context. Uh, verse 10. This is what Paul says in verse 10. That I may know him, that's Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So when Paul talks about imitating Jesus, he's not just talking about being like Jesus in general. And he specifically says he wants to be like him on the cross, the way Jesus was on the cross. I want to be like him in his death. And so when he says in 17, imitate me and, the, and keep your eyes on the example you have in us, He's saying the example of living the cross-shaped life. Living the cross-shaped life. This happens repeatedly in Paul. Paul says over and over in different books, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And let's look at some of them because you get a hint in all of them that he's thinking about the cross. He's not just thinking imitate me as I imitate Jesus in general. He's thinking, imitate me as I imitate Jesus and his cross. And so let's look at some of these. They're not all exceedingly obvious, but I think the combination of all of them together is, is convincing. 
So let's let's look here at how Paul says imitate him and imitate the Lord in a few different places. The first one let's look at is in 1 Thessalonians 1. We're going to look at three of these. And see if you can hear the hints of the cross in this passage about imitation. First Thessalonians 1, verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The hint there, where we see just the same phrase, imitators of us and the Lord. How was it? Why was it that they're imitators of us and the Lord? For you received the word in much affliction. There was persecution. They received the word and received persecution. And he says, when you did that, that was imitators both of Jesus and of us. Of course, we see Jesus, obviously, on the cross, enduring much affliction. The next passage, 1 Corinthians 4, a bit longer. Again, these are not totally uh, explicit references to the cross, but hints. And it always seems to come around this talk of imitation. So 1 Corinthians 4, we'll read what he says and then we'll kind of jump back up to the context. 1 Corinthians 4.16 I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in, in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So he says, be imitators of me. Be imitators of me. Well, what are we to be imitating? Well, he said specifically his ways in Christ. What is that? Well, if we jump back up to verse 8, notice how much of this that he's giving as his life example could be applied to Jesus, specifically his death on the cross. These are verses about Paul, but think about the cross in this. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us you've become kings, and would that you did reign that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We are held, you are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, are poorly dressed, buffeted and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. So as he gives that as a summary, and that's what he says to imitate. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
Think about all those things, how they could be applied to Jesus. Specifically, is that spectacle to the world, scum, scum of the earth, persecuted, when persecuted, when reviled, we bless, hungry and thirsty. I mean, you could go down the list and we could pull up a side-by-side chart, you know, if we had time, of the cross, how Jesus, you know, when they were cursing him and spitting on him, he prayed, you know, Father, forgive them, for they don't know not what they do. And, you know, obviously he was, it was a, symbol of persecution Um, but there he's saying I'm imitating Christ I want you to imitate Christ and you see there not just a general reference but it appears even especially in verse 9 where he talks about like men sentenced to death a reference again to the cross and let's look at one more in same book of 1 Corinthians 10.33. 1 Corinthians 10.33 and 11.1. Paul says, Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. What a reference there to the cross. What was Jesus doing on the cross? He was putting others' advantage before himself that they might be saved. And he's saying, as I put others before myself, to not put myself low, to lift up others, I want you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so all that is just a backdrop to Philippians, which we can jump back there, where Paul explicitly relates the cross to how we should live in chapter 2, which we talked about earlier in this series. If we jump, last last, uh, hint of this is Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What's the mind who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a, on a cross. And really all that is is a reason to have this mind. What's the mind? It's back up in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but count others as more significant than yourself. So you see how similar that is to these other, to these other exhortations. There in Philippians 2, Paul explicitly says, here's the cross, be like that. Here's what Jesus was like. Here was his mindset. Have that same mindset. He's saying the cross is not just how you're saved, but it's how we ought to live the Christian life once we are saved. And all that is to say, when Paul says imitate me in verse 17, he has a pattern. He repeatedly brings up these themes of the cross when he talks about imitating Christ. And he specifically references it here in in the immediate context, 3.10. 
So that's the first reason that when we read 17, I think it's, we've got to have in our minds, imitate Jesus, not just in general, not Jesus at the, with the woman at the well, although that's a great thing to imitate, but Jesus on the cross. He's specifically referring to that. The second reason, the second reason I believe that that it's specifically Jesus on the cross he's imitating is because he contrasts it with enemies of the cross in verse 18. So he's saying, here's a good example, imitating us, which what we're saying is that that's imitators of the cross. We're living in, we're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. We're trying to be like Jesus on the cross. Don't be like others who are enemies of the cross. You see the contrast there? It makes perfect sense if he's saying, just how I'm trying to share in the sufferings of Christ, be like that. Don't be like others who aren't, who are enemies of the cross, who aren't imitating the cross, who don't want to suffer. So that's the second reason. And then the last reason is going to take um, really the rest of the time for us to go over. So let's just think about this idea together and kind of dig into it. Dig into this main idea of Paul seeing the cross not only as a pattern of how a person is saved, but a pattern for us to live our life by. And let's look specifically at verse 10 here. He just flat out says that that's what he wants in verse 10. That I may know him, that's Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I've got a little illustration here that is, I guess, I guess you could call it for the kids, but it's this word becoming like him is all one word, and it's a compound word. It's the word being formed and the word with, the prefix for with, combined. So just let's think about the word being formed. Okay, so the word for being formed, the verb for being formed is like a potter when they made an idol at the time. So you would see, if you were back in the first century, you would see people with, you remember Paul talks about it, shaping idols out of silver. They're being formed. That, that metal is being formed into something. Um, like Plato, you know, you're forming something into something. Um, but this word is with, is combined with formed. So you're being formed like something else. You're being co-formed, conformed into something, like a press on a coin. And so what is that, that Paul is saying he's being formed into? He's being formed like the pattern of Jesus' death on the cross. And so, I guess I have some Play-Doh, and here's a cross, so it's you're pressing the image of something else into something to make it like that. And what Paul is saying is that suffering, when he shares in the sufferings of Christ, that that actually makes him like the cross, like Jesus on the cross. And there's obviously things cut away. And this is kind of a good illustration because it's 
it's kind of a cutesy cross, right? I mean, it's not. You look at this and it's like, oh, that could be in a kid's book, the shape of it. But the reality is the cross wasn't. I mean, it is now maybe to us, 21st century, but it wasn't kind of cutesy, you know? It was painful. It was excruciating. It was humiliating. And what we're saying is radical. I mean, it's unreal. Um, what we're really saying here today, I'm going to put this away. But he's saying that suffering is what's doing that. If you look here, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him, conform to him in his death. It's not something cutesy. The gospel, both how we're saved and the cross-shaped life, isn't cute. Um, I've got a little quote I'm going to read here from a book called Counterculture. And it's just talking about this idea, the cross. When we think about the cross, when we're thinking about how a person is saved but also living the cross-shaped life, it's not cute. It's not normal. Imagine, this is a, this is a quote, imagine taking a successful, well-dressed American man with a nice job, a big house, and a nice car, who th- uh, and leading, leading him to a garbage dump where a naked man hangs by nails on a tree, covered in blood, and telling him, this is your God. They will laugh at you, and may possibly feel sorry for the man, and almost certainly will move on with their lives. The cross is so not cute. It is so real and painful that when we think even about Jesus dying on a cross, we think of some idyllic picture. You know, it's like there's the sunset and then there's the crosses up on the hill, right? That's not what it was. It was more like a garbage dump. There's, there's dead people around. They wouldn't do it in the nice Roman parts of town. They took them outside of town because it was so ugly and so horrific. It really was more like a garbage dump than, you know, today if you toured Israel, it's like this nice, very nice, oh, let's go tourist type situation. Let's go look at where Jesus died. It's not, it wasn't like that. It was the bad part of town. And it was a real place, right? I mean, in some ways, I don't even really imagine it like a real place. It's almost a story way back in the distance, but there was a real dirty, difficult place, the place where they killed people. And you go there, and there's Jesus hanging on a cross. And it's painful, and it's shameful, and it's horrifying. You don't take your kids. And what we're telling people is, this is what you need. I've got something I want to tell you. Come on, come. I've got hope for the world. And you take them to a garbage dump, and you show them a man dying and bleeding. It's unreal. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> it does. But it's an offense, right? It's not cute. It's not normal. It's radical. If you told somebody, like he said, a, a, a well-dressed American with a nice job and a nice house, I've got a solution to all your problems, and you drove them to the garbage dump, and you showed them the man hanging on the tree dying, they would not know what you're talking about. What are you... What are you saying? 
this is the solution to my problems, if you told them this is the freedom from sin, you can be freed from sin, Here, here's God, become a man to die for your sins. It's, it's unreal. Now let's take it a step further. So we, we all believe that. The amazing thing is we're all saying yes and amen, and we just sang songs saying how wonderful and glorious that is. Now take a step further. We take, them, we take the well-dressed American man to the garbage dump. Here's a man dying, and we say, not only that's how you can be saved, but you say, maybe one day I can be just like that. <laughs> I'm hoping that I can be more like that. I really want to live like that. They would just look at you like, what? You want to be like that? That's everything you don't want. You want to be uncomfortable? You want to be, don't you want to save your life? Why would you want to lose your life? You don't want to be like that. You don't want to be weak. You don't want to be vulnerable. You don't want to be shamed. You want to be strong. You want to be exalted. You want to have glory for yourself. You want to save your life. You don't want to lose it. But that is what we're saying, and that's what Paul's saying. Something radical. Here it is. I want to be like that. I want to be like the man who died on the tree in the garbage dump. I want to be like Jesus in his death. That's the worst part. That's the worst part of his life, and that's the part he's saying, I want to be just like that. That's the part specifically I want to imitate. The cross, I want to be formed into it. And as I suffer... Well, no, he didn't say that. He said something even more unbelievable. May share in his sufferings. May share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So as he's sharing in the sufferings of Christ, he's becoming like Christ, specifically his death on the cross, conformed into his image. There was, there's a book... And the author is trying to get this idea across, and he made up a word. He called it cruciformity. So conform to the to the image of the cross. You're wanting to be like that. You're wanting to be, wanting to be cruciformed. You're wanting to be cross-shaped. You're going to be formed into the shape of Jesus, specifically on the cross. And this is what Paul's saying, and what he says repeatedly uh, throughout. His letters, he hints at that he's, he wants to be like Jesus in his death. He talks about things in ways that are just hard to understand and strange. And they only make sense if we've got this idea of cruciformity, being like Jesus, entering in. Here's the pattern of the cross, which is what? Love, right? It's not just a man dying for no reason. It's because I love people, I'm laying down, self-sacrificing for others. I'm laying down my life. I'm laying down my authority. I'm laying down my power. I'm laying down my freedom all to lift others up and, and for the good of others, to die for their sins. And so that pattern of the cross, taking the low road, saying I'm going to deny myself so that others can have. I'm going to do things that are uncomfortable for the good of others. When we have that in our mind, some of the other verses in Paul that don't make any sense make sense. And I'll give you a couple. Colossians 1.24. 
I wonder if this has ever struck you as just, just what is going on, you know, in Colossians 1.24. It's a really strange verse. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. What a strange verse. I mean, he literally says he's rejoicing in his sufferings because he is filling up what was lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Can you imagine if I said that today? I had a rough week this week, but you know what? It was just me filling up what was lacking in the suffering that Jesus that just that Jesus had, filling up what's lacking in his afflictions. If that wasn't a verse in the Bible, you'd be like, something's wrong with this guy. He's he's got a problem. He thinks that he's filling up what's lacking in the death of Jesus, his suffering and afflictions? No, that doesn't make any sense. But think about it in the context of what we just talked about. Paul is saying that he sees his life. Here's my life. And he's, he's saying, I want my life to be shaped. And I, want, I have a direction I want it to go. And the direction is crossword. I want to go towards the cross. And the shape is cross-shaped. I want to be like Jesus, laying my life down for others, pouring my life out for others laying down rights, laying down things instead of taking things up, not trying to get more, but give, even when it costs. And he's saying as he does that, he's not only, he's not just suffering, it's not just suffering, it's he's entering into something else, someone else's sufferings, Jesus's. And Jesus is suffering with him. He's co-suffering with Jesus. And he says he's filling up what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for others. He's living out the cross for this church. He's living it out. Just how Jesus laid down his life and it was costly and it was painful for the good of others when he didn't have to do it. Paul's doing the exact same thing in their midst. He's saying, I'm pouring out my life for you. It's hard. It's painful. And in doing so, it's not just me. It's Jesus in me. And I am with him co-suffering, sharing in his sufferings for your good. And that's, that's my goal in life. I want to be like Jesus on the cross. Without this idea of what we could call cruciformity, trying to be conformed to Jesus' death on the cross, be like it, this doesn't make sense. You have, there's so many pieces that you have to fit together. First off, that he's pursuing the pattern of the cross, right? We have to see that. But not only is he pursuing it, as he's walking in it, he's not just enduring suffering like, well, this is going to be hard, eventually it's going to be over. He's thinking about something specific. He's in the suffering and he's thinking, just the way I'm suffering, Jesus suffered for others. Just the way I'm pouring my life out, Jesus poured his life out. And then he's going one step beyond that and not only saying, am I imitating him, he's here with me. And this isn't just me. This is Jesus in me and together we're pouring our life out for these people. And that's different. And that is the kind of verse, this verse for uh, Colossians one twenty four, that just doesn't make sense unless we have this idea that Paul and us are pursuing a cross-shaped life and there's something real in it, something real going on. Jesus is really here with us. Jesus is really suffering with us. He's really changing us. And as we do it, 
I mean, as you do that, as you lay down your rights, these pieces are getting cut away and you're different. You're like Jesus. When you go and you've got, we've, we talked about this before, you've got an opportunity. I like to use one as foster care. I mean, you go into foster care, you know it's going to be hard, right? There's, there's a reason that kids are in foster care and it's going to be difficult and they're going to have problems and you're inviting suffering into your life why? For the good of others. And as you do that, make decisions like that. If your decision is based, look, here's how Jesus lived his life, and he poured his life out for others, and it's going to be hard, it's going to be painful, but I want to do it too. And I'm inviting suffering in, and I'm laying down my time and, and, my, and money and energy and emotional health, and all that, I'm going to be pouring it out when, I, when the world says, keep it for yourself. When I do that... I'm not going to be doing it alone. Jesus is there. And I'm not walking a pattern that I made up. I'm entering something that he did for me, and I'm living it out, and he's empowering me. He's with me. And as I do it, I'm changed, and I'm more like Jesus, specifically his death on the cross. We, I don't know how we understand Colossians 1.24 without having this idea in our mind. There's other verses like that too, 2 Corinthians Turn there, Second Corinthians four, ten, and twelve. Second uh, Corinthians four nine. Let's start at nine. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Well, let's start at eight. Sorry, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to s- despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us but life in you. So here he is. I mean, it's the same thing. Can you, I just can't, Imagine myself saying these things. I mean, yeah, I'm always carrying in my body the death of Jesus. It's a, it's a very radical statement. I mean, and it's also a lofty statement. That's, I mean, the death of Jesus is the best thing that ever happened, also the hardest thing. But he's saying, as I live and as I suffer, it's not just me suffering. That's me carrying in my body the death of Jesus. I'm being conformed to the image of the cross and I'm living it out. I'm imitating this other-centered, self-giving, painful self-giving out of love. And what's the purpose? It's for others. So death is at work in me, but life in you. You see the mindset here that Paul has? I mean, he's going through his life. Let's jump back to Philippians. But he's going through his life with this mindset of a goal. And the goal is he wants to be like Jesus, specifically like his death on the cross, where his love and his grace and his patience and his kindness and his goodness were all shown at their utmost, where they were shown most clearly. And he's saying, that is what I'm imitating. That's what I'm pressing on. And he's making decisions based on it. So I've got an opportunity here to lay down something, lay down my rights, or to take up my rights. 
What am I going to do? Well, what's like Jesus? What would Jesus do? I'm going to lay them down for the good of others. Here's an opportunity. I can try and avoid suffering or I can lean into it. And in the case where it shows Jesus to be greater, to be better, I'm going to lean into it. It's not that he always enters in suffering. Sometimes he appeals to his Roman citizenship to get out of it. But when it's for Jesus, and when it shows Jesus, he does. He embraces it. And not only does he make decisions like um, difficult, embracing difficulty in his life for the good of others, when he's doing that, it's he's thinking about Jesus and his death and how I'm not going this road alone. I'm following after Jesus. I'm doing just what Jesus did for me and just what Jesus did for these people around me. And I'm walking in that pattern. And then the last step, the most difficult step, is in my mind, and the most radical step, is he says specifically, he's sharing in his sufferings. It's not left at just imitating. It's not, I'm just being like Jesus right now. It's I'm actually entering into what Jesus did and I'm participate, I'm a participant now in the death of Jesus in my life and for the good of others. We could, it's kind of a long introduction, but it's a big idea and it almost needs time to just sit and rest. Jesus' death on the cross is not just how I'm saved, but it's where I'm going and what I want to be like. The idea, I think, came from Jesus, you know, Peter talks about it too in 1 Peter 4, a very similar idea of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. He used that language. So this is a big idea in the Bible. I mean, it comes up over and over and over. And that's the third reason, I think, that when he's talking about imitating Christ here in verse 17, is because this is such a well-established pattern, not just in Philippians, but in general. He comes back to it over and over and over. And not just him, Peter in 1 Peter, and then Jesus, really, when Jesus says... Take up your cross daily and follow me. He seems like he's the one that started it. He's saying, my cross, when it happens, it's not just going to be for me. You take up your cross and follow me. And you're going to enter into it too. It's not just something that I'm going to do for you, although that's true. Jesus is going to do it for us. But he's saying, it's something I want you to participate in. And you know, the word fellowship could be translated participate, participant. We're participants in the cross. We have, we're participants with him. We're living out our life, participating in what Jesus did. Imitation, yes, but participants. He's there with us. So let's just summarize and then we'll just sit with it until next week and we'll dig in more because there's obviously there's a lot more here and we haven't really even touched the rest of this passage we're just we just have to get this idea down if we're going to contrast it with enemies of the cross we have to know what it's like to imitate the cross so how do we apply this well first we need to see the pattern okay we need to see the pattern of what Jesus did on the cross which is the self giving love of Jesus laying down what was his for others suffering dying and there's a lot of different aspects and I that's the plan is eventually going we can tease out what are all the different things that he's really doing there uh, what examples is he really giving us but we could just say as an overview 
that it's a self-giving love, a self-sacrificing love, even when it's costly or painful for others. So we see that pattern in Jesus, and then even Philippians 2 says, think like that. Think like that. Have that same mindset. Here's me, here's my desires, here's what I want, but I'm going to think like Jesus, and I'm going to put others first. I'm going to let that lay that aside and pick up something that's difficult, even though it's hard on me because I'm concerned mainly, not in my own comfort, but in others. Think that way. So when not only see the pattern, but think the same way. Think the same way as Jesus. Have the same priorities. Others before myself, even if it means difficulty for me. Not others before myself when it's convenient. Others before myself, even if it costs me everything. So we see the pattern of Jesus. We think, renew our minds and think that way. And then we look for that opportunity in our life and we follow it. Here's an opportunity to pour myself out for someone else. Is there going to be a lot of reward and thanks? No, it's going to be hard. But I'm concerned for them and we follow that. We step into it. That could be, we've, uh, I'm just going to use examples we've already used. You got two classes, you're a teacher, you can teach the class of the difficult kids, or you can teach the gifted class, where usually the kids are pretty well behaved. And you get to choose. Which one do you want to do? You pray about it, you ask God, is there a reason one or the other? But you don't just immediately cut off the difficult one, because what you want is ease. You say, this is more difficult. But I want to do it because that's an opportunity to be like Jesus. That's an opportunity to love, love people, even when they don't love me. You have an opportunity. You, you get to work with people at work. Maybe you work with people. And you get to, there's a story in the life of uh, William Borden where they were splitting up people for Bible studies. And so they, at Yale at the time in 1909, they split up every single person in their dorm and they made them all come to a Bible study, which is interesting. And they picked who they wanted in their group. And then the people that were left were all the difficult people that wouldn't want to come to a Bible study. And William Borden said, I'll take them. I'll take that Bible study. And he let it. He invited difficulty in because he wanted to be like Jesus. Jesus loved difficult people. Is that what Jesus did? Did Jesus go to all the people who really appreciated him and only have dinner with them? No, he went to dinners where they criticized him and tried to trick him and tried to, conf- tried to uh, trick him into saying something uh, to get him killed. And he still loved him. And he went there. And he went to the prostitutes and the tax collectors. He went into a trial knowing they would spit on his face and beat him and eventually crucify him. He went there for them. Because he loved them. And we wanted to see those opportunities in our life. That might be you have a caseload at work and you have, di- you have people and you know this person is going to be difficult. They're going to be mean. They're going to be hard to work with and saying, but I want to go there because I want to be like Jesus for them. And that means love them, be patient, and when, when they revile, I'm going to bless them. And the worse it gets, the more opportunity it is for me to be like Jesus and just say, I love you, even if you don't love me. You're mad at me, you're angry at me, you're hurtful to me. I just love you, and I'm gonna, I love you because Jesus loved you. And 
Just press in, press on, and be like Jesus, even if it's difficult. So not just see the pattern that Jesus had and think that way. We're pursuing it, but as we pursue it, we can't forget I'm entering into what Jesus did. This isn't just me. It's when I get into the room, let's say there's you know, a difficult person. I'm walking into their room intentionally. I'm going to love this difficult person. When you're in the room and it gets difficult, you're not there alone. You are following Jesus. He's there with you. Not only is he shaping you to be more like him, he's there. You're entering into his sufferings. Jesus is the one who loves difficult people. And you... On our own, we wouldn't live like this, would we? We wouldn't say, here's all the people. I want to go love the difficult ones. I want to love the mean ones. I want to love the ones that don't love me. We wouldn't do it on our own. We're entering into Jesus' life and work, and we're saying we're not in there alone. So if you're a special ed teacher and you, somebody spits in your face, you remember, I'm not here because of me. I'm here because of Jesus. And I'm entering in. This is just what happened to Jesus. And I'm going to love these kids. I'm going to love them even when they don't love me and even when they're horrible. Um, I'm going to continue to love them even when they don't want to be loved. Just like Jesus. And he's there. We're sharing in what he did. See the pattern. Think that way. Follow it. And remember in the suffering, Jesus is there with you and you're not alone. You're not there alone you're entering into another suffering in a real way paul is actually saying when those difficult things happen they're not even his this isn't my suffering it's his suffering he says enter in share in his suffering it's his although paul's experiencing he's saying this is cross suffering for the good of others and it's really jesus's and i'm just entering in to the life that jesus is trying to live among these people, I'm filling up what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ, living out the cross in the 21st century. More than imitation, co-suffering. That's what Romans 8 says. We'll be, we're co-heirs with him, provided, it says, we co-suffer with him, that we can be co-resurrected with him. We're entering into all of it. Jesus is there with you, and we can lean into it and trust him. Well, that is Paul's vision for himself and what he's calling us to imitate. A cross-shaped life, intentionally loving others even when it's difficult. Laying down your life for the good of others. And let's just pray together. God, a lot of thoughts here and I just pray whatever is helpful and real you would help people to remember it and anything that was muddled or unclear that you would just cause that to be forgotten would you help us would you renew our minds would you help us see in our daily lives uh, areas where we can take the low road and pick up our cross and follow you and seek to love when it's difficult please help us as we enter into it and, and do that, would you be near to us in a sensible way, helping us, shaping us? Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you loved us enough to die for us when we didn't want to be loved and we didn't want to follow you and we just wanted to be left alone. You loved us. We're thankful. You pursued us. 
Father, we're thankful to you that you were willing to send Jesus and watch him suffer and die on our behalf. And Holy Spirit, thank you for even being willing to live with us at all and put up with us. Us, we stumble and fall. Um, we're thankful for forgiveness. Thankful you comfort us. And we just look to you for this week. God, we need help. We need help, Father, to live this week the way you want us to live. We need help. We ask for help. Thank you for everything. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for our families and our lives and even the difficult things you brought into our life. We're thankful. Help us to be like Jesus in it. We look to you and we love you. Amen.